Welcome to TMI, a podcast by Henry Ford Allegiance Health. We have a great topic today. It's going to be exciting. I'm getting pumped up. Me too. I get the blood flowing. Yep. Because we're talking about the heart heart stuff. (laughs) Yep. It's going to be really fun. Uh, Jen is in the studio with me today. Hi, Dave. Welcome. (laughs) You are the podcast queen. Thank you. And uh, really, (laughs) really fun to be on the show with you. Oh, and Jen, I wanted to make sure that people know that this podcast is informational. Um, If you have any uh, issues or uh, questions, please consult your family physician or the doctor that you see. Absolutely. Um, But like I said, we're going to be talking about heart related topics today. Mm -hmm. So we brought in, uh, you know, just somebody who's an expert, somebody who's amazing. Matt Janovich, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks for hosting me. Um, And we wanted to bring you in because, you know, we're just interested in these health topic things and you are, you know, quite a bit about this kind of stuff. And I I was um, doing one of your videos uh, for the introduction when like kind of the welcome to the hospital kind of thing or what people look up when they're looking for doctors. And I thought it was really interesting because you said one of the things that motivates you is like your family history and all that kind of stuff. That's how you connected with this originally. And I have the same kind of thing. Um, My father had heart disease. Um, He had stints and all that kind of stuff. And my grandfather, that's how he passed away when he was like 34. So very early onset disease. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I've been kind of putting that in the back of my mind the whole my whole life and been right. like wow this is something that I should probably be kind of conscious of um, so thanks for being on the show and um, if you could uh, talk to our audience a little bit and ex- describe what you do in the health system here and what get, got you motivated to get into that sure well, thanks again for having me and mm-hmm. I will say unfortunately your experience is not unique it's quite common in fact mm-hmm. and it's uh, very similar and parallel to my own. Heart disease is so prevalent in the United States, and it touches many, many families, including mine. It's something uh, that had affected my grandfather, who required stenting and bypass, and my father and my uncle, and certainly something you know that resides in the back of my mind as far as those genetic risks we know that carry in families. Mm-hmm. So it was a big motivator for me to um, you know study medicine first and cardiology um, thereafter. And, uh, you know, have a special passion about treating those patients and, uh, you know, helping them with this disease that is, you know, so, so um, prevalent in our society and affects and touches so many families, unfortunately. That's right. Um, so what kind of things do you do in the health system here? What, what's your specialty or what kind of things interest you? Sure. So I am an interventional cardiologist. So I have training uh, in cardiology and additional training uh, in the subspecialty dealing with treatment of blockage in arteries. So I treat patients who present with heart attack or symptoms associated with heart artery disease. So things like chest pain or pressure or shortness of breath. And that's done through a a minimally invasive technique where we're able to go into an artery, go up to the heart and identify those blockages. And in many cases, you know, treat them using balloons and stents, restoring blood flow and and eliminating or diminishing those symptoms for patients. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a special passion of mine. I also treat peripheral vascular disease, meaning blockages affecting other territories of the body. So things like the legs or the kidney arteries or the abdominal arteries, um, which also yield patients a lot of symptoms and difficulties. Um, certainly, I treat patients with other cardiac conditions as well, things like heart failure, for example, mm-hmm. heart rhythm disturbances, um, high blood pressure, something else that's very, very common and we mm-hmm. see in many patients. Yeah. 
Well, we know that February is heart month. And so there's a little bit extra focus on, you know, just kind of paying attention to, you know, what we can do to kind of make sure that we stay healthy um, and all of that. Yeah. And I know I have personally like gone into the emergency room a couple times just because I've been concerned. Mm -hmm. Like I've had high blood pressure. I've had uh, pain in the chest, like tightness and like that feeling where you're just like dizzy or like not feel mm-hmm. like you feel sick, like you're going to pass out. Pass Feeling out. unwell. Yeah. 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 So I've, I've done that. I've had that before. And, you know, my family or uh, my physician has been great with helping me get my blood pressure down and that kind of stuff. But I wasn't quite sure what to ex- like, what was going on or like if this was like signs of, um, early signs of heart disease Mm -hmm. or things like that. So what are some of those signs that we can look for so that we know, especially people like us that are a little more concerned, they're like, is this happening now? Should I get there immediately or call somebody? So, Well, I think there's a number of symptoms that patients might present with and should be Mm -hmm. aware of. Certainly, um, you know, top of mind, patients are always watching out for a chest pain syndrome. Mm -hmm. And classically in men, that might be something like a heavy pressure sensation in the chest. You know, we often hear it described as the elephant on the chest uh, or a heavy weight there. Yeah. For me, it was like, it felt like I had to like, just like stretch and sure i couldn't stop stretching i was like oh this can't be good right a tightness that's not not relaxing or relieving yeah you know that's particularly true if those are symptoms that might be triggered by or provoked in the context of either physical exertion so mm-hmm. maybe you're exercising or you're doing lawn work or you're moving things shoveling snow is a classic mm-hmm. oh yeah folks who might not be particularly active on a day-to-day um, suddenly exert themselves to a pretty high degree moving mm-hmm. heavy wet snow in a cold environment, which we know in and of itself is, can be a risk for heart artery disease uh, right. events. Yeah, and for me, I think it was it was a time in life where I wasn't eating healthy, I wasn't being healthy, and mm. I had an extreme amount of stress because I was sure. running my own business and mm. doing all sorts of stuff. Well, you're absolutely right there. So, you know, I mentioned first physical exertion, a very Mm -hmm. common uh, provocation or trigger of symptoms, but so too is emotional stress. Mm -hmm. So often Mm -hmm. things, if you're having a high level of work stress, if you're having a high level of emotional or family stress, um, those acute stressors really can be a trigger as well. Mm -hmm. And we always talk about, you know, the pain or pressure located in the central chest triggered by exercise or emotional stress, relieved by quiet rest or, or medicines that can be helpful, things like nitroglycerin. Those are elements mm-hmm. of what we call typical angina or cardiac chest pain and things that you should watch out for. But they're amongst many symptoms, um, mm-hmm. chest pain you know, being chief that we think about, mm-hmm. but often it's much more subtle. And I'd say that's especially true with women, for example. Mm-hmm. Right. They may present only with things like shortness of breath or fatigue, perhaps nausea, some unexplained mm-hmm. sweating. Um, even episodes of vomiting. Those types of things, too, can be a tell that something uh, is up and certainly they may be suffering an event or an escalation or unstable symptoms. Wow. So what should someone do if, you know, you're noticing those symptoms? Is that something that we can just call and schedule a cardiology appointment or is that something that's a little bit more serious that needs more immediate attention? Well, I think it depends a lot on kind of the severity of the symptoms, Mm -hmm. Um, their cadence, meaning are they, you know, developing more quickly, more frequently, more severely in their presentation that would help to guide them. 
If okay. you have a single episode of discomfort and it resolves relatively quickly, uh, obviously not as high in acuity, mm-hmm. certainly having a good relationship with a, a primary care physician is a great place to start. Okay. Um, as far as you know, a thoughtful history and a thorough physical examination and some other basic uh, instruments that can be used to evaluate your heart's health, like an EKG, for example, gotcha. um, an electrical tracing of the heart. Um, certainly, if you're having symptoms that are more persistent or more frequent, um, you know, lasting chest pains, meaning mm-hmm. lasting more than five or 10 minutes, okay. those are ones that you don't want to ignore. Okay. And I would say in that case, you should yeah. get in and get help. And whether that means having a family member bring you into the emergency department or if you need to have an ambulance or a professional bring you in, mm-hmm. but you don't want to be driving if you're having ongoing symptoms of that type because right. you might put yourself or others at risk. And sure. we certainly want you and them to be safe. Sure. Yeah, if you feel like you need to go, you should probably go. Don't, right. don't right. Second a, guess it. Don't make a small <laughs> inconvenience stop you. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and when I went there, it was, um, I mean, I came in and I told them what was going on. And they're like, okay, go into this room right over here. It was like immediately they mm-hmm. took me right in there. And I was there only for like 45 minutes the whole time. Oh, whole nice. Was out, Not so. too bad. Yeah, but I'm doing great now. Well, good. Glad to hear it. And certainly <laughs> we have a great system developed of care where they can really identify a problem if one exists quickly. Or, um, you know, fortunately, in your case, uh, you know, do the testing necessary to say there isn't something serious right, right. this moment. Right. And so we can, you know, provide you the reassurance and then a further investigation, you know, at, at a more leisurely pace, which yeah, is a so nice thing, too. S- speaking of that further investigation, what kind of things um, would could someone expect if they're, like, going into this more? Because I know sometimes people get freaked mm-hmm. out. They're like, do I have to do a treadmill test? Do I have to do this <laughs> a stress test? I'm already stressed enough. Right. Um, what are some of these things that people can expect? Or, sure. Um, so always, you know, just like with us here today, we start with a conversation. And mm-hmm. by that, I mean a history taking. So most often folks would see their primary care physician, kind of their initial touch point. Mm-hmm. Possibly they might see a specialist um, like myself, uh, either initially or in referral. And so we're going to talk to you. We're going to ask a lot about um, what your symptoms are, their characteristic and location, their duration and severity, and what might uh, you know trigger them to be worse or, or cause them to feel better. Mm-hmm. And those are helpful clues. So we're really kind of piecing together a puzzle, almost like detective work, to try to get us an idea of what not only what the condition is, but what might be triggering it. Um, from there, we certainly are going to first start with just examining you thoughtfully and thoroughly. Uh, We're obviously going to listen very carefully to your cardiac sounds, examine your heart. Um, But beyond that, we're going to do a vascular examination. We're going to check pulses uh, throughout the body. We're going to check other related organ systems because there's often overlap with chest pain syndromes. They might be due to the heart, certainly but they might also be due to a lung issue or a muscular issue, even an upper gastrointestinal problem, things like acid reflux. Oh, uh, sure. Many yep. of those things feel very similar. And so it takes both um, some history and some examination to help tease out what we might be dealing with before we can move into a further investigation You know, using testing and, and other tools we have at our disposal. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it's really pretty amazing the kind of stuff that they can do and when you put the Lead, the leads on your chest and do the EKG and it's pretty cool. They can really see what's going on. Yep. It Absolutely. Gives you a little bit of peace of mind, I think, too. <laughs> yeah. As you mentioned, you know, after we talk to you and examine you, an EKG is often our very first kind of diagnostic test. Yeah. Um, and it really has a wealth of information. It tells mm-hmm. us very much about, you know, obvious things like your heart rate, but more importantly, your heart rhythm. And is it a exactly. normal type of a rhythm? Does it represent some type of disturbance, which we call an arrhythmia, which can be associated with its own symptoms or complications or maybe a marker of another problem? 
We get information about the absolute size of the heart, meaning the muscular thickness of the wall, which might speak to conditions like high blood pressure over many years, leading the mm -hmm. muscle to thicken or hypertrophy. It also can show us if there's evidence of scar tissue, maybe from former or, or silent heart attack or other mm -hmm. damage present there. So there's really a lot of information by that one single test, which mm -hmm. we can do quickly at the bedside yeah. that helps again to steer us to a further and more in-depth investigation and, and a diagnosis, really understanding what is your condition so that we can understand how best to treat it. Very cool. That's awesome. So what treatments are currently available? I know that, you know, we're, as a health system, we're bringing in new procedures and all mm -hmm. sorts of things. So, you know, if you do find something, you know, what are the options that a patient could um, have done? Sure. So we have a lot of treatment uh, options available, many more so now than even, you know, a few years ago, mm -hmm. which is an exciting time for patients and doctors alike. And mm -hmm. it really allows us to to treat disease in a way that we uh, couldn't, you know, a short time ago. Yeah. Cool. So it depends a lot on the diagnosis. You know, we've talked a bit about a chest pain syndrome and an investigation of that. And in many folks, um, particularly in the United States and in Western countries, heart artery disease or coronary disease is very common. Um, and if some of our investigation leads us to believe that might be the case, um, very often that would result in a definitive test to kind of evidence the presence or absence of that condition. Um, and that's a test I do. It's called heart catheterization done at the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, it's, in fact, a very routine test. We do thousands a year, and it helps us to get a very definitive answer. Um, so patients' experience um, would be to have the test at the hospital where you come in and meet our nursing staff and, uh, you know, prepared. Uh, we give you a little IV, which is used to give you medication, and mm -hmm. the test is done under sedation. So patients are completely pain-free and relaxed and have amnesia about the experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sure. um, we are, are now very often able to put a little catheter into a tiny artery in the wrist called the radial artery different yeah. than years ago where we had to use a bigger artery in the leg. Mm -hmm. And that's an important priority for patients that allows us to complete a test to make a diagnosis and often provide therapy um, in the least invasive way possible, the least painful way possible, and with the least risk possible. A big risk anytime we embark on an invasive procedure might be bleeding, and we're able to mm -hmm. reduce that risk to a third of what it once was by using wow. these newer techniques in the arm. Wow. Yeah, I remember my father had the one in the leg, mm -hmm. and... Um, he he was he had to hang out and chill for a couple of weeks after right. it happened. So um, the transradial one or the one in the arm, right? That that's just incredible how less t recovery time there is for that, and it's just pretty cool. It's really kind of advanced at such a rapid pace. You know, I remember years ago as a, a young child, you know, mm -hmm. my grandfather having a heart event and having a catheterization. Oh. Yeah. In the leg and, you know, being in the hospital for days right. and, and afterwards laying for hours and hours flat and sandbags yeah. and pressure devices and, exactly. you know, a lot involved there and, and a pretty protracted recovery uh, from one of those procedures. Yeah. And seeing how it's done now and in many, many of my patients who I've met in the office and, and have a suspicion of heart artery disease, we're actually able to do their procedure as what we call a same day procedure. Oh, wow. Meaning they come in and have it done by it that arm route or the radial artery. Mm -hmm. And within 30 minutes of the procedure, they are up and walking and going to the bathroom and eating and able mm -hmm. to leave later that day. Wow. So really a same day kind of a surgery, which is very nice for patients, allowing them to recover where they're most comfortable in their own home, in their Absolutely. own bed, um, safely and, and uh, you know, without a, a need for a hospital stay. Right. That's mm. awesome. Yeah. And you can do so much with that. You, open heart surgery is kind of it's super important, sure. But it's probably becoming less, less um, 
I don't know. How, what would you, what would well, you I say I think there's been that? a change um, in kind of the frequency of heart surgery versus mm-hmm. what it would have been years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, artery blockage obviously limits blood flow to the heart muscle and it causes patient symptoms, chest pain mm-hmm. or angina being one, um, potentially due to, to heart attack, weakening of the heart or heart failure. And so when we identify this problem, we obviously want to treat it. And that used to mean bypassing around the arteries um, mm-hmm. with relative frequency. Um, using things like other arteries on the inside of the chest wall or redirecting and taking out veins from the leg to use as a conduit, a passageway for blood and sewing them onto the heart. Mm -hmm. But what we find now is we're able to do many, many patients, treat many, many patients um, using catheters, Mm -hmm. using balloons to kind of displace or stretch that cholesterol plaque out of the way, uh, and a metal coil called a stent, which is essentially like a circular scaffold. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. place it into the artery. It's um, inflated with a balloon so that it grows in size. And it essentially props up or holds open that artery, pushing the cholesterol plaque out of the way, allowing the blood flow to be restored. Um, all that's done through a small tube in the wrist most often, sometimes the leg. Mm-hmm. And so the recovery time obviously is all much quicker than a big open operation, a bypass mm-hmm. surgery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever it's appropriate to do so for patients, um, you know, we want to offer that as a treatment option because it's less invasive. It's sure. a, a lesser recovery time. It's a more mm-hmm. cost-effective treatment. Um, but there are still patients clearly that um, warrant and benefit most from a bypass. If they have very advanced heart artery disease or multiple blockages, those are patients where still bypass surgery is the gold standard and it's mm-hmm. the one that benefits them the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we we work very effectively at our institution in a collaborative team. We have what we call a heart team. And that involves members of our cardiac surgery department, uh, members of our interventional cardiology core, general cardiologists, um, so that we can assess each patient and think about what's the best way to treat them in a comprehensive fashion, to restore their blood flow most completely, uh, to do so, um, you know, in the best available way for the patient. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think is so cool about our heart team here is like, they are always looking at these new techniques and new things, but they're only using them if they're more effective or they're more appropriate. They're not like pushing the envelope just to try and do something new. Mm-hmm. It's sure, whatever absolutely. is best for the patient and whatever fits their need. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One of the most exciting things about kind of that space of interventional cardiology and cardiac surgery is we're always innovating mm-hmm. and we're always doing so with an eye on outcomes and results for mm-hmm. patients. And so we have really a wealth of clinical data and, and thoughtfully and well-designed randomized clinical trials that help us to know what's the best treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's many, many developments there and, and quite often they offer a better and faster and, you know, easier recovery treatment for patients. Sometimes they don't have the, um, you know, results we might expect. And that's why we, you know, do those trials so that we know we are only offering to patients mm-hmm. ones that will benefit them most. Um, and certainly it's an exciting time uh, to work in the field and to, uh, you know, yeah. treat and, and help patients there. Yeah, I know we have a bunch of new things that we're working on right now, but mm-hmm. we don't have time to get into all of them during the podcast. But it's cool to see uh, you guys just looking into these new areas. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else you would say to somebody who's listening to this podcast and like, I don't know, what kind of encouragement would you give to them about the prospect of having to have something done? 
Well, I would say um, certainly don't be afraid of and don't ignore symptoms. Mm -hmm. There's um, so much that we can offer you to, you know, alleviate or eliminate symptoms to prevent complications of illness uh, in the cardiac realm. And so I'd say, you know, have those conversations with the folks you trust most, your primary care physician, you know, your nurse practitioner, your PA, um, you know, get evaluated and get treated. And so many patients, um, you know, you and I being some that have it in the family and have it in the back of their mind, you know, it's even reasonable to have, um, you know, make sure you're having those well visits and to have an evaluation done. Uh, in fact, one of the newer techniques that we have available now is um, kind of an in-depth assessment by way of uh, a CAT scan or a CT scan mm. that can help us to know about the presence and burden of heart artery disease, even in patients who may not be symptomatic. Wow. So something wow. called a coronary calcium score, which can be very uh, insightful to patients and very helpful to doctors in knowing how to augment treatments of patients who maybe haven't yet presented with chest pain, but have risk factors like mm -hmm. family history of early onset disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, a history of or present smoking. All of these things we know contribute to risk uh, and you know, maybe put in someone's mind uh, you know, a concern about that. And so mm -hmm. we're able to actually help them to know whether or not there's artery disease present and how better to treat it to prevent it from presenting with chest pain or presenting with heart attack, which is what we really mm -hmm. want to prevent. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, even today, you know, up to a third of patients, you know, present with heart attack. And in fact, with a complication of heart attack, heart rhythm disturbance called sudden cardiac death. Mm -hmm. So we don't want you presenting in that fashion. We want you presenting, <laughs> right. you know, with symptoms uh, and allowing us to make an early diagnosis and, and uh, execute a, a more complete treatment. Right. For me, the, first, the, the idea, thinking of all the possible things that could happen, procedures I'd have to have done was what made me not want to go in. But then I thought about it and it's really, you just start with a conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just talking. And the earlier you do that, the the better off you'll be. Absolutely. We always start uh, building relationship and mm -hmm. that's something I always strive to do and, and place a lot of value on my patients. And I think that helps. Um, it's a it's a relationship where we want to you know listen to the patient, their mm -hmm. preferences, their needs, their concerns or fears. And also share with them, you know, what we know about the disease and, and how can we educate them. Because when we share that knowledge, that really helps to abate those fears and to, um, you know, help them to realize and normalize this is a common thing. It's a treatable thing and it's something that we can really take care of well. That's great. That's awesome. Well, Matt, thanks for coming into the studio today and uh, talking with us about all this. And it's been great. And I think been informative. It definitely has. And we're really looking forward to continuing our journey. I think this kind of gives us a lot of information and just kind of help us make a little bit healthier and smarter choices in our daily lives. And yeah. Yeah. And speaking of smart choices, mm -hmm. if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, <laughs> you can go to henryford.com slash podcast. And we're on there. And we're also in iTunes and mm -hmm. a bunch of other places. So uh, we've got a lot more topics to talk about, and we hope you listen. Yeah, sounds good. So Thank thanks. you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.